Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there, uh, and thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Well, we're in the middle of our series titled Changed by Jesus, where we're looking at what happens when a person encounters Jesus and the transformation that happens in their lives. We've gotten to hear some um, pretty exciting stories over the past couple of weeks, and the series is based on 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. So two weeks ago, we got to celebrate 17 baptisms and hear some stories of transformation. And then last week, we got to hear the story of Jackie, who was adopted out of foster care into a Christian family and the transformation that her life took. If you haven't had a chance to hear any of those stories, or uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them because they're powerful stories of life change. And these stories are exciting and they're inspiring and they remind us that Jesus doesn't just work in the Bible, but he's at work in our midst today as we see him transforming and changing us. But what if your story doesn't feel quite so exciting? What do you do when you don't have a big miracle moment? And while these stories are exciting to share, and we need to be sharing the stories, for some of us, that that doesn't feel like our story. For instance, your story may be simple. I grew up in a Christian home. At some point, I surrendered my life to Jesus, and I've continued to be a Christian. Or maybe if you were away from the faith uh, and and you came back at some point, there still doesn't feel like there's some dramatic miracle of transformation. There's not some walking away from addiction or abuse or some other sort of dramatic change in our life. And for a lot of people, if you feel like your story doesn't have some miraculous element, as we share stories like this, it can make your story feel even worse. Uh, It can feel like there are transformations that happen uh, to miracle Christians and ordinary Christians, and maybe you feel like you're on the ordinary side. Well, we want to encourage you and challenge you to change your thinking on that. And want to invite you into a new way of thinking about this transformation. Because the difference isn't that some Christians get miracles and some don't. But that the difference is that some miracles are visible and some are not. And when you become a Christian, you are united with Jesus. Jesus reconciles us. He's in the process of changing and transforming us. And we need to stop and recognize that that is the biggest miracle of all. The fact that we are reunited with the God of the universe and he is in the process of changing us. But sometimes that change is invisible and those stories are easy to miss. And that's why today we're going to focus on some of the invisible changes that happen. And we're going to see some invisible, invisible miracles that happen in the story of a man named Paul and his life intertwines with another man named Barnabas. And ironically, these miracles, these invisible miracles are easy to miss in the midst of a significant transformation of this man, Paul. Now, you've probably heard of Paul. He was one of the leaders of the early church. Uh, He started out, he was a devout Jew who was concerned about this sect of Jewish believers that were beginning to follow this man named Jesus. He thought they were heretics, and so he began to seek them out and have them arrested and imprisoned and in some places, in some cases, even killed until one day he had a direct encounter with Jesus that transformed his life. 
And it was a classic change by Jesus story, a visible, tangible transformation. He was transformed from a man persecuting Christians to one who would eventually lay down his life and give all of who he was uh, for following Jesus. But what if the story would have ended there? The truth is much of the transformation that happened in Paul's life happened after that transformation moment. It's just that we easily overlook it and miss it. And I think if Paul hadn't had the additional transformation that came, I'm not sure he would have had the impact and the contribution that he had on the church, that he's had on the church today, which is significant. He's written a good part of the New Testament and he planted churches all over the known world of his day. So we're going to look at the transformation that God had in Paul's life over the long haul and look at some of these invisible things that happened in Paul's life. And to do that, we're going to look in the book of Acts and we're going to be in Acts 4. I want to take this moment to say hi to those that are online. We're glad that you're joining us. Uh, So Acts chapter 4, if you're grabbing one of the Bibles in the seat uh, in front of you uh, or the seat underneath you, we're on page 908. And I also want to say thank you to Brad Miller for his work, his background work on this message. So this, this, we're going to meet this guy um, named Barnabas, and it's before Jesus, uh, Paul had encountered Jesus. It's so while the church is relatively new, it's the first time we hear about this guy Barnabas, and all the believers are gathered there in one place and sharing everything. And that's when we hear about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. This is what we learn. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one, the apostle, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So there's a couple of things that we learn about Barnabas. First of all, we learn that he was an encourager, which we'll come back to in a moment. We also learn he was from the tribe of Levi, and the Levites were the tribe that got to serve in the temple, and it was a big deal likely meant that he came from a highly religious family, probably grew up getting special training in the scriptures, and maybe Barnabas had even hoped to be a rabbi one day. But we we don't know those things for sure, but they're things that we can speculate about. And then finally, we learn that he's a generous man. In fact, he's the example given as as they talk about how the church was generous and people were donating their resources and taking care of one another and taking care of the needs of the church. And so this sense we get is that Barnabas was this faithful, consistent follower of Jesus. And when we look at early church tradition, as we look at other writings, uh, there's really nothing miraculous written about this man, Paul, uh, Barnabas. And so however he converted, there probably wasn't any big significant miracle. So we learn he's generous. And then the next time we hear about him is in Acts chapter 9. So if you flip over Acts chapter 9, verse 27, what we see, this is right after Paul's conversion. And Paul has left uh, Damascus, the city where he had this conversion. He's come to Jerusalem. He's trying to connect with the church there, which is where the church is centered. And he's trying to connect with the leaders. And nobody wants to talk to him. And by the way, Paul is still being called Saul. He kind of has interchangeable names. Um, And so he's being called Saul in the passage. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. And they didn't believe he had truly become a believer. 
Now, these believers that were gathered there in Jerusalem would have included the 12, the first apostles, the earliest disciples that Jesus called. And these were the men who walked with Jesus for three years, had seen him do incredible things. And in the recent weeks and days, they had done, begun to do miracles themselves. There had been healings. And so there were these miraculous things happening in the church, but somehow they couldn't see the miracle that had happened in Paul's life. And they were afraid of him. They were afraid it was a trick. But this man Barnabas somehow had the sense to see this miracle that had taken Paul in place in Paul's life. And that's when Barnabas steps in. It says in verse 27, when Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, he, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Barnabas vouches for Paul. And as a result, the disciples were willing to welcome uh, Paul into their community and he accepted them in. And so this is really the first in almost invisible miracle that we see this man Barnabas uh, exercising faith. In fact, Remember how his title was son, uh, or his nickname was son of encouragement? Well, this word encouragement in the Greek is a word paraklesis, and it's directly worded to another Greek word, paraclete. And paraclete is one of the words that we use to describe the Holy Spirit. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, that word means that it can mean comforter, encourager, uh, it can mean advocate, or one who urges us on. And so Paul or Barnabas's name could be translated not just son of encouragement, but it can also mean son of comforting or son of urging or son of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we see Barnabas doing here when Paul shows up, is he's encouraging the work that he sees happening in Paul's life and commending him to others. And without the invisible faith of Barnabas, Barnabas, uh, the church might never have gotten the full impact of the visible miracle that happened in Paul's life. And so um, one of the things that happens after uh, Barnabas introduces Paul to the church in Jerusalem is he starts to teach. And as he teaches, he stirs controversy and he gets chased out of town. And he heads off to his hometown where we see the second miracle take place in Paul's life. The second invisible miracle, I might add. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you go home, people look at you a little differently. They remember you when you were 12 or when you were a kid. And some of us, uh, we revert back to old roles that we had in our family, in our community. And Paul wasn't just going home for a weekend because the estimates are that Paul was there in his hometown of Tarshish for at least eight years and maybe as long as 14 years. And we have no idea exactly what Paul was doing in this time frame, but I think we can make a couple of educated guesses. First, we knew that Paul was educated in the scriptures, and I have to believe that as he had this encounter with Jesus, he was probably rereading the scriptures that he knew, trying to understand um, things about how the scriptures predicted, predicted Jesus coming, and I think he probably read them with a completely different lens. He also had this newfound relationship with God that was opened up through Jesus. And I bet he spent a lot of time in prayer and connecting with God. And even though it's not recorded, I'm confident that Paul was sharing his story. He was probably sharing it with others and he was doing the work of ministry. 
And even though he labored quietly, uh, it was virtually anonymous during this 8 to 14 years, I'm confident that God was doing the invisible miracle of his growing his faith day by day and year by year. And it was this transformation that happened that's almost impossible to see because it happened so incrementally that we don't see it. And it's not just a miracle of time because the passing of time doesn't always bring, bring transformation, but it was the transformation of time invested well. And then we see a third thing that began to transform uh, Paul's life. There was an unexpected event that happens. It happens in Antioch, and we see this in Acts chapter 11. So if you jump uh, to a couple of verses forward. And this is the first time that we see the church begin to spread in large numbers beyond the Jewish community. And so a Gentile, a non-Jewish community, <laughs> the People start to come to Jesus, and this church in Jerusalem, which is primarily Jewish, is not really sure about what's going on over there. And so they send, they send Barnabas over to figure out what's going on. It says, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy and encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. There was this invisible ability that Barnabas had at a follower of Jesus to discern God's work. And so the church trusted him, sent him there. And Barnabas has such an incredible problem. There's so many people coming to faith in Jesus. There's so much work of teaching instruction that needs to happen that he realizes he needs help. And I wonder how, when it happened, but he thinks back to years before this man named Paul that had encountered Jesus, that would, had been grown up, trained and equipped in the scriptures, but had grown up in a city that was largely non-Jewish. And so that's when we see Barnabas goes and looks for Saul. It says this in verse 25, then Barnabas went on to Tarshish to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. So Barnabas and Paul become this ministry team that's impacting and teaching this new church that's beginning to sprout up there in Antioch. But this simple invitation from Barnabas to Paul to step in there was a catalyst in Paul's life that laid the foundation for the work that was going to happen years ahead. And it, I believe it laid the foundation for the work of church planning that Paul was going to uh, do in the years ahead. And as I think about the, Paul's story and the in, almost invisible things, miracles that happened in his life, I was rem reminded uh, of a book I read several years ago by pastor and author Andy Stanley. It's from a book, Deep and Wide, and he talks about the five catalysts uh, that, that we experience that are catalysts to grow our faith. He talks to the importance of relationship, about good teaching, about uh, disciplines, about personal ministry, and then circumstances in our lives. These are the things that begin to transform us. And as in Josh and I were planning for the series, um, there was a story we felt like would be great for you to hear that I think illustrates this point beautifully. So I want you to welcome up Krista and Josh Weber.
Hey, everybody. Good to be here today. Um, I just want to say thanks. First of all, uh, I know we have only been here at Grace Fishers a couple months. I've only been your worship pastor for about three months. But the welcome has been so warm, and it's just been great to be uh, embraced into this church family. Uh, so thank you for that. And also thank you for the opportunity to share a part of our story this morning. Yeah, when Josh told me that uh, Kevin asked us to speak on um, how Jesus has changed us over the long haul, I was a little offended that he thinks that we are old enough to talk about something over the long haul, but <laughs> forgiven. Um, we both grew up as preacher's kids, and quite honestly, we can't remember a time where Jesus wasn't a big part of our life. Um, and so we definitely don't have that Saul to Paul kind of trans transformation story. Um, it's more like steady growth and development over time in small, imperceptible ways. Um, I memorized scriptures when I was younger that spoke of God's blessings and promises, and, you know, they made me feel really good. Um, and honestly, it was easy to say yes to God because I really hadn't had to wrestle with anything truly difficult yet. Um, and I remember uh, when I was asked to share my testimony, at one point I remember thinking, what is my story? I, I wish I had a better story. And uh, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> is what I learned. Um, and so I'm going to let Josh tell the next part because I always cry through this part. I'm really the crier in the family, so uh, I drew the short straw, so I'm going to go through a couple things very quickly. Uh, six months after Krista and I were married, we learned that she had melanoma. And so as a young 20-something couple, uh, it was quite devastating, and we were scared to find out this news. Uh, fast forward very quickly, eventually she uh, became cancer-free. However, we were told that we needed to wait at least five years before we began our family. Fast forward a few years later to November 2007, and I received the worst news I've ever received in my life. Uh, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. And over the next uh, year, we prayed and prayed and prayed with a lot of powerful prayer warriors from various churches. Uh, unfortunately, uh, our prayers weren't answered the way we had hoped, and she passed away in December 2008. And our faith was really tested that year. Uh, we cried out to God. We we wrestled, we uh, really just struggled and went through the whole gamut of emotions uh, during that time. And as we processed our pain, it seemed that God was silent, uh, and maybe he was, but sitting here today, I can look back and realize uh, just because God is silent does not mean that he is absent. I didn't acknowledge it at the time, but he truly was present in the pain. Now, shortly after mom passed, uh, Krista and I uh, decided, uh, or we were finally cleared to start our family. However, as time passed, we were devastated by the news and the struggle of infertility. And the journey of infertility can be a very, very lonely one. And Krista and I didn't help ourselves because we walked that path alone and in secret and kind of heaped this shame upon ourselves and, and nobody knew what we were going through. And it was a very low point in our lives. Um, and as a worship pastor, it was really hard to lead worship uh, during those season or during that season. 
but through it all, God was doing some work in us and uh, eventually through our story. But before we get to that, I'm going to let uh, Krista continue. So I hadn't realized it until later, but I had um, accidentally developed a faith that was pretty much dependent upon my circumstances. And my circumstances had been fine until they weren't. Um, and so what happens when life gets messy and life gets hard, I knew God had a plan for me, as the scripture says, but I wrestled with him because his plan was not matching mine. Melanoma, moving away from our families, the loss of Josh's mom, years of infertility and loneliness, none of that was in my plan. So how do I reconcile these things with a God who loves me, a God who is for me? There were definitely some dark days. Um, the thing that I kept wrestling with, the question I kept asking God was, I believe you can, but I don't know if you will. And if you don't, do I still believe you're good? I don't feel like I'm the only one that has had some kind of uh, wrestling question like that with God. I'm seeing some nodding, yeah. Um, but if you haven't, you, you probably will at some point. Faith over the long haul is not always easy, and you find yourself at a crossroads. And the easy option is to walk away. Um, but the worthwhile option is to lean in. He can take our questions and our doubts, but lean in and um, work through that. My Enneagram One husband here is the man with a plan. So he came home with books. Um, we had faith for, or case for Christ, case for faith, and we did Bible studies together to help me work through that. But the important thing was he didn't judge me when I was in those really low places and questioning. He journeyed with me um, through those valleys. And it's the, the wrestling that changed me and changed us. You don't fully know what you believe until you have to really fight for it. And so experiencing loss and heartache, it led me to dig deeper into scripture. And I, I found the scriptures that are a little less feel good, a little less tweetable, <laughs> but um, they really spoke to me in my heartache. And I didn't know he was going to do that, but he read them <laughs> in the service already. Um, and so the ones that really stick out are, um, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And consider it pure joy when you face trials of any kind, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He also brought me to the parts of scripture where um, I got to study some of the heroes of our faith. You know, we, we know them for their mountaintop moments, but there were also a lot of valleys um, and where they were facing ridicule, um, shame, loss, doubt. And in their weakness, God met them and found them and made them strong for his purposes. And that's how Jesus changed me through, through their stories, by helping me see that he is good even when our circumstances are not. In our grief, we can remember that Jesus grieved his friend Lazarus and he wept. He knows grief. In our suffering and in our pain, we can remember that he anguished in the garden of Gethsemane, pleading with the Father to find another way. 
He endured shame, pain, and death for the glory of God and for our good. And so he's with us in those deep, dark valleys, working in the waiting. It's so true that our God is a redeemer, uh, no matter the situation or circumstance. Uh, but it doesn't mean we don't hurt or ache or experience tragedy uh, in our very real and broken world. And perhaps many here can relate with your own story of, of disappointment and, and struggle. Uh, the death of my mom, that story, it does not get neatly packaged with a pretty bow on top. Um, you know, unanswered prayers, uh, prayers that you wish had gone the other way. However, I can tell you that Jesus has changed us uh, because of it and for the good, as odd as that sounds. And I've seen God work again and again uh, by sharing her story um, to bring glory to his name and also to bring others into his kingdom, especially those who had walked away from God because of their heartache and, need, and they just needed to be reminded that he is close to the brokenhearted. So is her passing the outcome we had hoped and prayed for? No. But is God still good? Is he working? And is he present in the pain? I believe that wholeheartedly, absolutely. Faith over the long haul is a marathon. And scripture tells us that we need perseverance to run the race well. But we also need each other's help along the way. Josh and I struggled for years in secret for fear of judgment, and it took us a long time to learn that lesson. But sharing our story and being vulnerable is one of the ways that Jesus changed us the most. He humbled us and provided safe space for us to share honestly with others in our faith how we were hurting, doubting, and struggling to stand strong amidst the storms that we faced. There were times that we literally could only put one foot in front of the other because we were being held up by other people who had been changed by Jesus. They prayed on our behalf when the doctors told us that we were going to lose our first baby, and our words just fell short. And they rejoiced with us when God answered those prayers in such a miraculous way that the doctors literally had no explanation. And through that horrible leg of our race, Josh and I went from enduring so much pain in secret to discovering the freedom in life that comes from bringing what is hidden in the dark into the light. This is my favorite part of our story. Uh, we, were, we felt called to start a small group at our church at the time, and so it was filled with kind of some random people, some we knew, some we didn't. This was 11 years ago. Um, before we had any children, and over the next seven years, every single couple in that group, except for one, would face infertility or miscarriage. And to the point, honestly, we nicknamed ourselves Infertile Ground. Uh, and we had a disclaimer before anyone would want to join our group, so they knew what they were getting into. Um, but being open with that group allowed others to feel the freedom of being open and sharing what they were going through. And we got to walk those, those journeys together instead of everyone feeling like they were walking it alone. From that point on, we weren't just a random group of people who hung out. We were a genuine com community of mutual love and support, journeying together 
sharing our burdens and joys. And through it all, we were all being changed by Jesus. You know, today it's a little easier to sit up here and tell these parts of our story because uh, we're on the other side of some really hard times. And we've been able to look back and see God at work. It's that, that quote that says, life has lived forward but understood backwards. Um, we're, we're in that space today, but we know there are probably some here today uh, who aren't on the other side of that and who right now just are going through some really tough days. And we wanna say that if you find yourself in that season, just remember that Jesus sees you and he is with you. He will not abandon you. And as I say those words, if you're having trouble believing even that today, that is okay. The church is a space for people to explore their doubts, to uh, work through the struggle. I think there are some things that we will never fully understand uh, this side of eternity, things in this life. But something that I believe wholeheartedly and that I have clung to time and time again is a verse that says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And there's a song that really has been our anthem these last uh, 10 to 15 years. And it's a song that has really held us up and reminded us of a very powerful truth. And uh, I'm not going to sing it, um, but I am going to recite these lyrics and hope that they bring encouragement and hope to all of us today. Never once did I ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. And that, friends, is a truth worth building your life upon, a truth that will change you and a truth that will carry you through, uh, through the long haul. Uh, thanks for letting us share some of our story this morning. Yeah, thanks, Krista and Josh, for being willing to share your story so vulnerably. And Krista, it's not that I think you guys are old. It's just that you're wise way beyond your years. So uh, thank you guys for being willing to do that. Well, we could probably end the service right there, but I think there's two takeaways that I want us to, to walk away with. The first one is that list that Andy Stanley had about the five catalysts. Maybe there's something on that list that you need to intentionally invest in. Maybe there's a relationship you need to pursue. Maybe you need to dive into reading the scriptures or uh, some other personal discipline. Maybe this is the time for you to step into getting in serving somewhere. Or maybe like Josh and Krista have talked about, you're in the midst of some circumstances that you just need to surrender to God to in the middle of and allow him to change you in the midst of whatever you're experiencing. But more than all that, I want us to be encouraged. I want you to be reminded that God is at work, whether you feel like you have a simple story and you're just a simple, faithful follower of Jesus like Barnabas, he is transforming you. If you're in the midst of a hard season where you're just not sure he's doing anything, he's at work, he's with you, and he's transforming you. That's what we want you to walk away with this morning. But like Josh said, we understand things looking back sometimes. In this past week, I got a little bit of perspective that was really encouraging because I could see the transformation over time. 
And if you were here last Sunday, you saw our high school seniors on stage here getting celebrated with their parents. And then last Sunday night, I had the privilege to go hang out with them as they shared and as their leaders shared about the transformation and the impact that they had on one another's lives over the last four years. And the thing that I was reminded of as I stood in the back of the room, you guys can throw that picture up there, by the way, of of the seniors. As I was in the room the first week that group of boys met, um, and let me say it was as freshmen, and let me just say it was a little crazy. I was filling in Joey, our student, our next-gen pastor had asked me to jump in because they were short a volunteer. I jumped in and I thought these leaders are going to have their hands full. <laughs> but to see the transformation and the impact that they've had on one another's lives, the investment of their leaders was remarkable. And I wish you could have all been there to see and hear the way these young men and young women have grown into people who love Jesus and love each other remarkably well. There's been an invisible transformation that happened four years over their lives. And I believe that's what Jesus wants to do in all of us. So let me pray for us. Father God, we just thank you for the miracles that you do, the ones that we see and the ones that we won't fully understand until we're with you. And I just pray if there's anybody in this room that needs to be reminded that you're with them, that they would sense your presence, even as we close out this service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.